1: Good morning. morning! Good morning! Good morning! Good morning? You to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning, whether I want it or not?
2: Please go away, let me sleep for the love of
3: God! Howdy folks, and welcome to Good Movie Monday, the podcast presented by Fakechamp.net. It's great to be with you this week, as it always is, and I'm especially happy to have our old mate Keith back at the hammer, where he belongs. Welcome back, brother.
4: Howdy, my friend.
3: (laughs) So, Keith, tell us a story about umbrellas and how to avoid them.
4: Um, We can talk about this off mic, Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll leave it there i got a feeling we're not going to.
3: And in case you don't know, my name is Glenn and I'll be guiding this missile all the way to its target. Uh, thanks for being you and coming back week after week. Welcome to our new listeners. It's great to have you all on board. As well as today's show, be sure to check out our video content all throughout the week on Facebook and YouTube. Just find the Good Movie Monday page on Facebook or search for Fake Shemp on YouTube. We do a thing called Spitball every week, and that is heaps of fun. Um, now, before we kick things off, I just want to say a massive thank you to Fergus Hulbert, who filled in for Keith last week. Uh, look, what people don't know is that this guy did it without any notice whatsoever. He'd never been on the mic before. He dropped what he was doing, came to our aid without any preparation, yeah. and he was a bit of a champion. So, nice. Ferg, mate, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you very much.
4: You hero without a cape, son. <laughs>
3: Stick around because we have lots more fun stuff coming up including a chat with the big boss of Monster Pictures, Grant Hardy to talk about the massive news bomb that they dropped on us last week and we conclude our interview with director Kimball Rendell the director of Cut and Bait 3D plus our regular segments from Jarrett's Green Realm, Adam's Just Seen all of that good stuff.
5: Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane!
6: No, it's a fucking umbrella!
3: So easily the biggest news on our radar over the past week has been the passing of Joel Schumacher that's a huge blow. I mean, this guy was an absolute legend. Of prolific. Yeah. He passed away at the age of 80, which is mind-blowing. Like yeah. In my mind, he was always sort of, you know,
4: 60s. A young man, yeah.
3: Yeah. Perhaps it's my ignorance, but he died battling a year of cancer. Okay. I didn't know that.
4: No, I wasn't aware of that either.
3: Yeah. Before he was a director, he was a costume designer, production designer. He was a prolific music video director. He was, in excess. He, mate, <laughs> his legacy is huge. Mm. But anyway, look... I thought let's spend this episode maybe just fleshing through his uh, career, talk about some of his films. Uh, people will be amazed to know some of the iconic films he has made. So yeah. let me run through a heap of titles and uh, maybe we can cherry pick some and have a bit of a discussion. So Yes. From the beginning, it was The Incredible Shrinking Woman, DC Cabs, St. Elmo's Fire, Lost Boys, Cousins, Flatliners, Dying Young, Falling Down, The Client, Batman Forever, Time to Kill, Batman and Robin, 8mm Flawless, Tigerland, bad company phone booth uh, Veronica Guerin Phantom of the Opera number 23 Blood Creek 12 and Trespass Yeah that's
4: huge it's the number the number of titles which I actually forgot that he directed
3: Yeah it's a very very eclectic kind yeah. of uh, lineup of films I mean people hang a lot of shit on this guy for ruining <laughs> the Batman franchise Indeed yes You know well I would I would Take issue with that. I think Batman Forever is actually a pretty good film. I think. Oh,
4: yeah, yeah. Batman Forever was a massive film yeah, when it came
3: out. Maybe his stamp on the franchise sort of, you know, dumbed it down a little bit. Fair enough. But when you weigh up all these other films that he's done, that's incredible. Veronica Gurin is a great film.
4: That is a great film. I actually was a little, I raised my eyebrow when I saw that on his filmography. I'm like, oh, of course he did do that. I forgot about that.
3: Um, what's another one? I think Flawless with um, Flawless. Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. De Niro. Yes. You know, incredible. I, uh, that, when it came out, surprised me that he directed that. Phone booth. Yep, very
4: taut little thriller. Good performance.
3: Great concept. That's it part is. of a double feature because um, Larry Cohen, who wrote that, also wrote Cellular, which was oh, the other mobile did. phone thriller.
4: I did not realize that. Yeah,
3: That was yeah. his companion. They, he wrote them together back to back, and That's I think cool. originally he wanted to direct, direct both of them. Okay, never, never did. But um, thank God for that because he's a B movie yeah, director. Yeah, I'm going to give
4: um, Joel the points for this one with <laughs> phone booth.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I mean, some of the the ones. People would argue, are, you know, lesser would be like maybe trespass. He went yeah. out with a bit of a dud with Nicole Kidman and with it Nicolas Cage?
4: Yeah, and um, ah, oh, it's not. I look, I'm prepared to be fact checked here. Um, the, Paul Bettany's not in that, is he? Is it Paul Bett? No, I, I'm thinking of something else. Okay, Michael Douglas. Yeah, fair let's, enough. Let's continue.
3: <laughs> Why don't we? Um, well, that's it. I mean, he did. Uh, the Lost Boys is one of the most yeah. iconic teenage sort of. Um, vampire films of all time.
4: That seems to be the one that comes up a lot with it him. It does.
3: It's the one that all the newspaper articles run. Yeah. Eight millimeter, which was the sort of spiritual follow up to Seven. Yes. Which Andrew Kevin Walker wrote both. Mm. That's a great dark, yeah. you know, edgy film.
4: Yeah, you're a big fan of that, aren't you? I do. I like yeah.
3: it. I mean, it's not a perfect film, and the the criticism a lot of a lot of people levy at it. Uh, Warranted, mm. but look, it's what been nearly 20 years, or it has been 20 years. It was
4: 99, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, so it was 21.
3: Yeah. Wow, well, I mean, you look back at it, I think it holds up pretty well. Yeah, it's edgy, it's dark,
4: yeah, and
3: pretty gross. Yeah, indeed. Sin <laughs> Elmo's
4: Fire, that was another one he said I forgot. that That's going to be one of the most iconic titles on his filmography, I think. That's quite famous, isn't absolutely.
3: It? That's got a really good soundtrack, yeah, from memory.
4: Good cast, Emilio.
3: What about DC Cab with uh, Mr. T?
4: I haven't seen that. That sounds brilliant.
3: <laughs> yeah, great poster.
4: Mr. T, he made every poster look great, that man. Yeah. Did well, you? Yeah, well.
3: What I was going to say, Bad Company was one with Anthony Hopkins and Chris Rock, and it's sort mm. of a buddy cop sort of action.
4: I've seen that.
3: I like that yeah. film. It holds up pretty well as well. And just the fact that Hollywood just relied on Joel Schumacher to come in and yeah. make these films, they... They base their they base their knowledge on just what he's done and like how can you go from directing cousins mm. or DC cab or Batman forever let's get him to do tiger lamb yeah. Yeah, absolutely. that just makes no sense.
4: Jack of all trades. I mean, they're different filmmakers, but he reminds me a little bit of Richard Donner, just like a guy that can bounce around genres, do different things, has a number of films that are very famous, but maybe that don't associate with the director. Yeah. Yeah, I just, they kind of, I don't know, they just remind me of each other.
3: Well, Phantom of the Opera sticks out like a sore thumb as well. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of the musical itself. Yeah, okay. When the film came out, I was so hyped. Mm. Uh, The film... Landed with a thud. Yeah, it came out in t- 2014. Poorly it? cast because I think Gerard Butler was overall good, but he can't sing, and that's an issue when you're <laughs> in <with> the <laughs> it's opera. It's kind of
4: essential, <laughs>
2: isn't it? Yeah.
3: But then you got Mimi Driver, which, or Mini Driver, I should say, horrible. Mm. Her character's supposed to be a big, fat, gluttonous kind of opera singer. Mm. She's like thin and attractive. Yeah, yeah. It's made no sense to me. Yeah. But the production design on that is just. The
4: production design's great. Yeah. Yeah. What about Batman? Robin, man.
3: Well, Batman and Robin, we, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> no. I mean, we're trying to celebrate yeah. a career here. <laughs>
0: hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, I'm going to rocket through these films this week, as there is a ton of releases. First up from Defiant Screen Entertainment is a movie called The Iron Mask. This is being released on Blu-ray and DVD. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan. That's right, two huge action icons in a movie you've heard literally zero about. I've got my doubts as to whether this film will be any good, but I'm prepared to be proven wrong as, look, it's Arnie and Jackie. Then there's the film The Shed that's headed out this week on home and on uh, just DVD, no Blu-ray. Now this film's tagline is, you're dead if you go in the shed. Great tagline. Well, is it really? Anyway, it's the best thing about the movie. Moving on to the next one, The Spy. Now this is a World War II drama thriller, and it's got a tagline that reads, A diva turned spy, the Nazis never saw coming. Though I reckon it would read a little bit better if it were to say, a diva turned spy, that you did get Nazi coming! Anyway, moving on to Eagle Entertainment, three releases from Eagle this week, first up Blackwater. It's a new actioner and it reunites universal soldiers Dolph Lundgren and Jean-Claude Van Damme. Then there's another film coming out called Trick, this is a DTV slash from the guys that brought you My Bloody Valentine 3D and Drive Angry. It's got Tom Atkins in it, so, you know, it's got to be worth something. But it's also got the star of Son of Mask and Malibu's Most Wanted, Jamie Kennedy. Yeah, that guy. Remember him? I wish I could forget him. Then the last release from Eagle this week is Radio Flash, which is an apocalyptic actioner. Then Jigsaw. Yes, Jigsaw. They're still around. I'm just as surprised. It's still sinking in with me. But they've got a film out this week called Big Kill. It's a western, and it's got Lou Diamond Phillips of Young Guns and La Bamba, but mainly Young Guns because it's a western. Michael Paré, Jason Patrick and DTV King, Danny Trejo. Then Rialto have got a release this week called Villain. Now stop me if you've heard this plot line before. It's a British crime flick and it follows a recently paroled ex-con who, surprise surprise, gets involved in crime once more. I'm almost 100% that I read that exact synopsis a week or two ago for another film. But anyway, Roadshow. Roadshow's got the most oddest release of anyone this week. They're releasing Shaft to DVD. Now, this is the new Shaft, the one that Paramount made, it's basically sold to every territory outside of the States to Netflix, and then handled the theatrical in the US. Uh, and uh, for some reason Roadshow's releasing it on DVD. I, I don't know if anyone really enjoyed it. And, like, is anyone going to care that it's coming out on DVD? I certainly don't. I mean, if it's coming out 4K or Blu-ray, maybe, because then people could enjoy it in better quality, but The quality of this DVD is going to be less than watching it and probably the shittiest stream on Netflix. But anyway, moving on to SHOCK. SHOCK have a ton of releases this week and they actually trump pretty much every other label because they're releasing a ton of films on Blu-ray. Granted a lot of them are reissues and those reissues include Desperado, Gothica and SWAT all being released on Blu-ray and DVD. I can't comment whether they've got the special features that were present on the previous Sony releases uh, but in any case. Are you really gonna watch any special features on SWAT? Highly unlikely, and if you were, you probably would've bought it like 20 years ago when it was released. Meh. Moving on to Cinema Cult. Cinema Cult, they've got one release this week, and it's David Finch's The Game on Blu-ray and DVD. So casual fans can pick this film up cheap, probably with no special features, and that's fine. The film's had a Criterion release in the US, so if you're a super fan, you probably own that version. If you're a super fan, you're probably gonna buy the Arrow Blu-ray that's coming out. So this one, this one's going out for those casual fans, the people that just want to watch the movie and I'm sure it will be fine, so um, let's, let's, you know, let's be grateful Cinema Cult are offering affordable entertainment for, you know, someone that doesn't necessarily want the deluxe packaging or the special features. Anyway, moving on, Hollywood Gold series from Shock, now these are all local Blu-ray debuts and in some instances they may actually be global Blu-ray debuts. So, they're all classics, obviously. We've got Dark Command, Flame of Barbary Coast, Rio Grande, The Fighting Kentuckian, and the last one, which I find to be a bit of a tongue twister, so let's go. Wake of the Red Witch. If you say it's slow, it's fine. All on Blu-ray and DVD. Then last, and probably definitely least this week, is Vendetta, that have got three films headed out to DVD. The first one's called Collision Earth. This one's about meteors that are headed for, yeah, you guessed it, Earth. Anyway, that old chestnut. This DTV effort stars Eric Roberts, who's the only actor that's paid the same way as dodgy hotels that are frequented by sex workers by the hour. And next up, Killer Sofa, yep, yep, title says it all, you know what it's about. So well actually, is it a sofa? It's more of an armchair if you ask me. Is this the successor to Rubber, that brilliant postmodern comedy from almost a decade ago? No. This is the fantastic furniture version of that. Then the last one's called The Ascent. Now this is a genre mashup that follows a like a team of black ops who are pitted against a never-ending stairwell. That's no shit. And that's me for this week. Until next week, stay physical.
7: Live from America's premier horror and paranormal convention, every Friday night, Scarefest Television brings you guests from the horror and paranormal fields, plus featured movie reviews, entertainment features, and short films. Watch us live every week at ScarefestRadio.com or via Facebook and Twitter by following The Scarefest.
2: Scarefest Radio, the radio you can see.
3: Yeah, that's right. You know what I'm about to say? Make sure you catch Scarefest TV this week. It airs at 11am on Saturday Australian Eastern Standard Time, which is 9pm Friday American Eastern Standard Time. This week on my segment, I'm going to be looking at John Hewitt's chilling serial killer film, Acolytes, starring Joel Edgerton. So make sure you check that out. Scarefest have also got some massive news lined up, so make sure you pay attention to their social media because it is huge indeed. Uh, There's going to be a little, uh, little bit of me in it for all of you, so make sure you do follow it for the sake of... Me, <laughs> uh, watch this space. There's also a, an exciting podcast I'm involved with with Scarefest coming up, and uh, I want you all to listen.
1: There's something strange happening over at the old Monsterfest place late every Friday night. Strange sounds can be heard emanating from their Facebook page, menacing lights flashing from mysterious posts. You've had a good movie Monday. ARE YOU READY FOR A FRIDAY FRIGHT NIGHT 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 He was once the greatest film editor in the world until a freak accident left him with a shattered psyche and a set of wooden fingers. Now all Ray Cizzo is good for is editing cut-rate movies for sleazy producers. When a gloved maniac starts stabbing the cast and crew of his latest film, it's up to Ray to find the killer. Is it the good-looking but moronic star, Cal Connitz? The adulterous actress, Josephine Jardine? The incompetent police detective, Peter Porphyron? Or could it be the editor himself? After all, what's a few cuts between friends? Tune in to Facebook.com slash Monster Film this Friday, the 3rd of July at 9pm for our Friday Fright Night screening of The Editor, a film by Astron 6. See it, if you dare.
3: As I mentioned earlier, there's some exciting news coming from the Monster Camp. Our friends over at Monster Pictures have announced their partnership with producer Chris Brown and Fairvale Entertainment. And the big plan is to create a local production company to produce homegrown horror films over the course of the next three years. But rather than me butcher this information, uh, there's no better source than that of the horse's mouth. So I've got Grant Hardy from Monster Pictures on the line to fill us in all about that. Grant, it's good to have you, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Mate, congrats on this um, this big reveal last week. This is exciting news. Yeah, yeah. it's been Look, it's been a while in the making. Um, you know, when
7: we started Monster and, um, you know, started the Festival Monster Fest, we always had plans to to do this. So um, you know, there's been different stop starts and uh, over the years, but um, you know, during lockdown obviously gave me a lot of spare time to uh, attend the things that I've been meaning to get to for a long time. And this was one of them. So it was, uh, you know, whilst... Um, Whilst it was bad in one way for for society, for us, we managed to get something really positive out of it. So there you go.
3: Can you tell us a little bit about the company and, and what's, what's in store? Okay, so um, basically what we've announced now is just, um,
7: you know, our intentions and a call-out. So essentially what we're looking for, you know, we've said we'll produce five films over the next three years, but that's not going to stop us in, um, you know... Probably identifying a few more projects than that because you know even though we'll aim to sort of have um, those films to market in that amount of time, we want to have um, you know other projects on the go, and we also really want to sort of assemble a team of um, you know writers, directors, other producers, you know all sorts of creatives, so that you know basically we're we're working constantly on new new films. Um, and and just keeping people in jobs and discovering new talent and supporting an industry that we love. So well, yeah.
3: I was going to ask you about like what what the strategy is to find these films and filmmakers. Have you got like a a game plan in motion, or is that still hush? Uh,
7: look, it's it's not a game plan as such, but I mean, of course, you know, we know there's some filmmakers that we know we want to work with, and. Um, You know, some have already reached out to us having seen the announcement. Others um, were in the middle of approaching. Um, It's not to say that, you know, they may have any projects at this point. But, you know, of course, you know, we're going to go to those people. But we we actually really want to do, um, you know, find some and support some talent that, um, you know, uh, that is up and coming. I mean, you know, we've played lots of... um, australian films during Monsterfest, fest and you know a lot of the um filmmakers have gone out and made films you know self-finance them put it all together themselves so you know again we want to give the opportunity to those guys to um you know to provide a system where we can actually support them um right through the process so you know well, we're going to them as well and, and as i say a lot of them have already um come to us already of course so <laughs> scratching uh, at your door yeah, yeah, you've just actually caught me. I'm in the middle of um, replying to emails. Uh, I've got about 50 sitting there that I need to get back <laughs> to. <laughs> well, I've you... also, sorry, I was just going to say, I've also been um, watching lots of films at Cannes, uh this week because uh, the virtual market's on, so I've seen some great stuff there too.
3: Well, well, that actually takes me to a question I was going to ask at the end, but I may as well touch upon it now. I was going to say, are there plans to take these projects you know, overseas to international markets? Yeah,
7: absolutely. Um, the whole idea of doing this is to have a system where we already have all of that in place. So, um, you know, I think uh, a lot of times, you know, producers and filmmakers, the issue that they have is they have the idea, they get it to a certain point, but then they've got to have those marketplace attachments um, in order to complete their financing. We actually have all of that... Uh, in place, and that's um, the idea of Fairvale, is they come in with, um, you know, traditionally, that amount of money that uh, filmmakers have to get out of the market. Um, Fairvale will finance that component, which allows us to be uh, have luxury to um, look to make the films uh, and then get those uh, marketplace attachments in place. But, um, you know, we'll be looking to, um, you know, we want to work with, um, you know, international distributors, international sales agents. So we'll we'll all re- we'll start to collect a um, and we already have. We'll start to get a, a network of those guys that we will take the projects to, um, and get early interest on as well. So it, it's it's really the whole thing is set up um, to enable filmmakers to give us a concept. If we love that concept, we'll we'll help them get it to um, script stage, and then um, take it out to market. And you know, the intention is is that we once once we do that, that we'll fully finance the film, and um, you know, see see the whole thing through to release.
3: Mate, it's exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you can you give us a little before I let you go? Can you give us a little insight into Chris Brown for people listening that don't know who he is? He's a he's a big deal. Yeah, Chris has um Chris has worked in a few
7: countries actually. So he started his career in England, and he worked with Neil Jordan. Um, he did the Company of Wolves, and also did Mona Lisa with Neil Jordan, and then he worked with Julian Temple and David Bowie on Absolute Beginners. Um, I, I I'm pr- I'm pretty sure he actually was um part of the Comic Strip Presents as well. Uh, I think he was he was, he said that um. That company up and so he's worked with all of those guys like uh rick Mail and dawn french and adrian edmondson and yeah he was pretty instrumental in that whole um scene then he moved to new zealand and did a number of features there before moving to australia and um you know he's done some big films here he did the proposition he did triangle um bait 3d um you know, although it's not a genre film, he produced The Railway Man, which um, I think was, you know, the highest grossing Aussie film of that year uh, when it came out with Nicole Kidman and um, Colin First. So, yeah, he's, he's very well established, very well respected. And he's actually um, a big fan of genre films. He loves them. Yeah, awesome. And that's why he wanted to team up with us, because uh, he just, he wants to make horror films. So. Well,
3: you're, you're like a master of the segue, mate, because, you know, you mentioned Bait 3D. We've got the part two of our interview with Kimball Rendell coming up in a few minutes, so nicely done. Uh, Kimball actually just emailed me with the script. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Maybe another he's segue, the... <laughs> how's that? <laughs> awesome. Well, mate, thanks for taking the time. This is very exciting, and I think everyone is pretty psyched to see how this all unfolds. Yeah, no problem, man, and
7: um, look, there'll be uh, lots of news coming out in the next few months, um, and we'll be hoping to announce our first round of projects soon as well.
3: Oh, can't wait. All right, well, I'll see you around.
1: Thank
7: you. Thanks so much, mate. No worries. Cheers. Okay, bye.
1: Wish I
5: had a tote.
1: Wish I had a tote. Why? Because
2: totes open so easily, reliably. With a special deep dome shape to give you real protection in wind and rain, each carefully engineered and built to last.
1: This Totes is eight years old, still works beautifully.
2: Totes, America's favorite umbrella brand, a most wished for gift.
1: Right.
3: I got my wish. Now I got a Totes. Totes. So, two weeks ago, we reported on the Astors' return. Uh, we read out the entire July calendar. Mm. Uh, so our plan was essentially to discuss each week's program as they come along to give out two cents worth about the films that are worth watching. But here's the thing, uh, and it's kind of amazing, they've completely sold out of just about every session for the next, what, two weeks or so. Much
4: to my uh, chagrin, I didn't get tickets. Oh,
3: mate, that sucks.
4: <laughs> I was so hanging for uh, 2001, the 70mm. Just, if anyone has not seen 2001 of the Aster in 70mm, it is an absolute must. It is one of the two or three best films to see in that format, or ever. Like, yeah. It's amazing.
3: I'm anyway. sure I'm sure they will play it again, the repertoire.
4: They better. They better. The only, if you're listening, mate, please, please. <laughs> come with some tickets.
3: <laughs> <laughs> is that a direct uh, reference to Zach?
4: It is Zach. Zach, Zachary.
3: Hit us up, mate. Hit us up. Oh. Uh, so, look, 2001, sold out. Dunkirk Interstellar, sold out. That'd Dark be... Knight, Dark Knight Rises, The Shining... Goodfellas, oh, Blade Runner, The Matrix, all completely sold out. Yeah, oh, I reckon that shows an eagerness for people to get back.
4: I think it's great, and do you know, what? I actually, it's my own fault. I had the opportunity to jump on and get the tickets, and I was, I wanted to hit The Shining, two thousand one, Goodfellas, and then I wanted um, North by Northwest. Yeah, I wonder if that's sold out. I, I'm going to check that as soon as we're done. But um, I'm so keen. They're some of my favorite films of all time. Yeah, it, but it is. It's incredibly. Um, you know, I suppose. Um, what's the word? encouraging, I guess, that they are selling out and that people want to see these films because I've been craving a movie on the big screen, man, and there's no place like the Asta to see it.
3: Correct. I mean, granted, COVID-19 probably puts a little bit of a restriction on how much they can fill the cinema. Oh,
4: of course, particularly now.
3: But, I mean, all that's left for us right now, I guess, is The Wizard of Oz, which is still uh, up for sale this Sunday, July 5th at 3 p.m., Batman Begins in The Prestige is next Monday. They've still got tickets to that. Okay. Um, So I'm sure, look, I'm sure they will probably sell fast. So just make sure you hit up their website before you actually get along.
7: (laughs) Wizard of Oz would be good.
3: That'd be disappointing to go all the way in and turned away.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Their website is astortheatre.org.au, so make sure you check them out. But, uh, Keith, I guess Batman Begins, The Prestige and Wizard of Oz. That's all that's left for the next two weeks. I reckon The Prestige is the only one of those we've never covered on this show.
4: You're probably right.
3: So maybe we have a little
4: bit of talk about oh, yeah, I'm well-versed in the prestige, man. You mate. love the prestige. I, well, no, you know what? I used to. I'm not yes. saying I've... It's one of, I think I remember mentioning that every time I came home from school for like three months, I'd watch Matchpoint. <laughs> yeah. I had a similar thing with the prestige. I, it was a big film for me when I was in like year 11, year 12, early 20s. I used to watch it all the time. Loved it. Um, I love the concept, the mystery. It's quite a tragic film. And it looks great, and you're Bowie. No, I love the prestige. I haven't seen it in years. I'd like to revisit.
3: Christopher uh, Nolan, folks, if you haven't, of uh, course, if you're not up to speed with that one.
4: So I always loved the films he did after the one for the studio. You know, how he'd always do like Batman Begins, and you give me the prestige. Yes. I'll give you the Dark Knight. You give me Inception. Yep. Oh, Interstellar aside, I always enjoyed. Those in between ones like the Prestige, yep. Inception, more the Prestige is great, a more passion film, yeah, and more interesting. I think. What are your thoughts? Yeah,
3: I like the Prestige, lot. and this was an interesting one because it was one of those what they call twin films, which mm. is where Hollywood produces two films that are very similar at the same time, absolutely competing. So one studio catches wind of a project, they kind of replicate it. So you had the illusionists come illusionist. out at the same time, and that was good too. That's a good film. Had a really great, you know, sting in the tail that one. But yeah. Prestige, I loved. I loved the atmosphere. I loved the performances. But it annoyed the hell out of me because I didn't like the supernatural aspects of it. Yeah, okay. I yeah. was so along for the ride yeah. when it was all just plausible and this was almost historical. Yes. And I'm like, yes, and then it just went supernatural.
4: And then online. David Bowie rocks up. <laughs> oh, my God. Like,
3: and I love Bowie, so that was exciting. And yeah. He was so good in He's it. brilliant in The Prestige. But what happened? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it just lost me.
4: Now that's fair. I'd need to see it again to see if that, that would bother me now. Because the way Nolan makes films and the way he filmed it is he yeah. does it very... Factual, he wants it to be realistic, doesn't he? And then he kind of throws you a curveball there with all those top hats.
3: That's exactly right. And I guess when The Illusionists, you know, sort of got released, that was much more of a a lineal story Mm. where the title sort of alluded to the fact that there was some trickery going on. Yeah, that's right. Bought into that at the time. But I think if you were to watch them back to back, I think the prestige probably holds up.
4: I'd say it probably does, yeah. But I mean, it's uh, it's like the Hugh Jackman relationship with Bale is fascinating because Bale is the true magician, isn't he? Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and Jackman is kind of you know,
3: the charlatan. He
4: is indeed. He is the faker is. of the of the magician world. He is sensational that film. Though. That's one of his best roles ever.
3: That's Hugh. the biggest spoiler bomb you've ever dropped.
4: Sorry, gang. <laughs> Look, in <laughs> defense of me, it is fourteen years old. I mean, I mean, spare me. Yeah. <laughs>
3: What's the statute of limitations on (laughs) these
5: things? What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Let's look at a little bit of what we've covered in the past week and let's kick off with a new Twister. There's a remake or redo or reboot, different outlets are calling it different things, but there's a remake in the way for Twister. A reboot is now in development at Universal Pictures, the studio was looking to tackle a new film focusing on those giant tornadoes and they may have their director at the ready. Currently in talks to take the helm is Joseph Kosinski whose credits include Tron Legacy, Oblivion, Only the Brave and the upcoming Tom Cruise sequel top gun maverick no plot details for the new twist are known as yet with a search now on for the film's screenwriter michael keaton could be back as batman seriously he's entered negotiations to reprise the role of batman in the flash warner brothers long just stayed in dc adaptation that's apparently still set to star Ezra Miller. According to a report by The Wrap, Keaton's return as Bruce Wayne will be made possible with a multiverse narrative that will find, and I quote, Ezra Miller's Barry Allen traveled back in time to prevent the death of his mother, The result? Alan inadvertently creates another universe protected by Michael Keaton's Batman, now 30 years older. Although it's certainly an exciting proposition to have Keaton back as Batman, it's not a certainty as yet, he still hasn't signed that dotted line. The Flash is to be directed by IT Movies' Helmer Andrei Muschietti, and the most recent draft of the script comes from Birds of Prey writer Christina Hodson. Production on The Flash is expected to get underway in early 2021, COVID-19 limitations allowing, of course. Filmmaker Edgar Wright, known for Shaun of the Dead baby driver is on board to direct an adaptation of 2019 best-selling novel the chain which has a pretty crazy storyline universal pictures has forked out an amount reportedly in the seven figures to acquire this one the book from author adrian mckinty tells the story of rachel a woman who discovers that her young daughter has been kidnapped there are only two ways to ensure her daughter isn't killed firstly she must kidnap another child and secondly that child's parents must kidnap another child hence the chain Edgar Wright will be directing from a screenplay written by Jane Goldman, whose credits include Kick-Ass, Kingsman, The Secret Service, The Woman in Black, X-Men First Class, and Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. But before we see what Wright does with The Chain, we'll be getting his psychological horror film, Last Night in Soho, starring Anya Taylor-Joy. That one is scheduled to hit cinemas in April 2021. Anne Hathaway and Bill Murray will be starring in a dog movie titled Bum's Rush. The film will have Hathaway playing Pearl, a skilled custom bootmaker who crosses paths with a stray dog named Bum, who will be voiced by Bill Murray. The two highly independent souls find themselves at a crossroads, one that will change both their hearts and minds in ways they can hardly imagine. Set to direct the picture is Aaron Schneider, who previously helmed 2009 Robert Duvall and Bill Murray film get low by the way that's a film that you should really check out if you haven't Schneider also directed upcoming Tom Hanks World War II film Greyhound which is getting a release on Apple TV Plus in July and whispers of a sequel to the 2000 box office smash chicken run the stop-motion animated film have been circling for years but better late than never Netflix has announced that they've got the sequel on the way set to direct the sequel is Sam fell whose credits include co-directing CG animated films Paranorman and flushed away. As Fell himself revealed, the sequel will have the chickens trying to break in, as opposed to the first film where they were trying to break out of their chicken farm. The film will follow Ginger and Rocky who have hatched an egg together and had a daughter named Molly. The girl grows up quickly, as children do, and Molly begins to outgrow the island. At the same time, rumors start to float of a new and terrible threat on the mainland, forcing Ginger to rally up her troops and put their own hard-earned freedom at risk for the good of all chicken kind. Now, Mel Gibson led the voice cast of Chicken Run, but apparently he's been let go from the sequel due to past anti-Semitic comments coming to light again thanks to a recent Winona writer interview. And if you're after an action thriller to watch on Netflix, may we suggest Lost Bullet. Our writer Adam Fleet reviewed the French Netflix action film. It's only around 90 minutes long and it's highly worth a watch. He gave it four out of five stars saying, it sits in a similar ballpark to the streamer's underrated 2017 film Wheelman. If you're so inclined, Lost Bullet offers up more anti-heroes, double crosses and tumbling automobiles than you can shake a gear stick at. So if you don't mind subtitles, check out Lost Bullet not many people are talking about it so it's shaping up to be a bit of a hidden gem get on it and sticking with netflix we have the complete july 2020 release schedule up so jump on and check out everything that's coming out in july there's some big things that about does it for me guys as we've all been talking about on good movie monday rest in peace mr joel schumacher thanks for all the memories the lost boys falling down flatliners the list goes on you will be missed my name is guillermo screen realm out
3: How is that for a wake-up call? That was Come to Daddy by Aphex Twin, which is the music equivalent of a triple shot espresso, I guess you could say. Or maybe a, if Keith was going to compare it, it would be what, four tea bags?
4: It'd be a Sam Bowl tea, which is what I like to call a five-leafer. <laughs> if you've never had it, get on it.
3: <laughs> and, of course, we played that for you today because it is from the 8mm soundtrack, one of Joel Schumacher's darker films, Like I said, starring Nicolas Cage and Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin. Speaking of dark films, here comes the second part of my interview with director Kimball Rendell. Now, I can't remember if I mentioned last week that in addition to directing Cut, Bait 3D, and Guardians of the Tomb, he also directed the second unit on the Matrix sequels, Gods of Egypt, Knowing, Ghost Rider, iRobot, Casanova. He's quite a big deal. Uh, Some of the music videos he's directed include Cold Chisels' iconic Flame Trees video, uh, videos for the Angels, Mental as Anything... Hunters and Collectors, Dragon, and even UB40, wow, amongst others. Uh, so anyway, here's the rest of our chat, picking up where we left off last week. Enjoy. The thing I've always loved most about Australian cinema is the fact that we entice these big Hollywood stars down here, and they sort of immerse themselves in our culture, and I just, yeah, I love watching that, and it's always great to see.
6: Yeah, well, they, um, yeah, well, you're right, because having worked with a lot of American Actors that do come onto the films, Um, they really love the culture. They love the, you know, being here and, you know, they're filming in Sydney or or wherever it might be. In in the case of South Australia, Um, and they do immerse themselves in the, you know, like they love being here for that period of time. And um, you know, we we look after them. The culture's not that different from the Americans in any case, but. there's a, yeah, there's quite a few reasons why actors do films, and you know, okay, the money's there, or the you know it's the right project at the right time, interesting, or yeah, I would like to go to that country and, and be to the country. So there's a lot of things coming to play. But really, they do have to like the script, and you know? she she like she really liked the script. So
3: I guess there's also that element of pride that you know Aussie audiences have when a big actor comes down and wants to be part of our landscape. Exactly. Um, yeah, and you know, Aussies love all that. Um, yeah. When, when we sort of get
2: recognised by, by us, but um, because there, I mean, there's that, that whole thing with the tall poppy thing that goes on in Australia too. That loves,
6: but there's another, there is another side to Australian culture that does you know, embrace. I know. Embrace. I mean, it was great to hear at the beginning. You say that you really love the film, and, um, and was, at the time. It you know made an impression on you. and no, that, that's great to hear because there is another side to Australian culture that tends to, you know, run down our own products and, um, you know, st- stuff that we do, but um, I think they might be might d- disappearing a little bit, I
3: hope. Yeah, well, actually, other than the publications that I write for, I also run my own genre-based website called Fakeshemp.net. I love the, I
6: love the, na- the name.
3: <laughs> yeah, Fakeshemp.net, uh, and we focus on a lot of... Aussie genre film, and we've even hosted screenings. I know we did one for the Aussie slasher film called Blood Moon, which um we got a massive thrill out of. Yeah, no,
6: cool. And no, I have. I, 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 when I saw your, uh, yeah, the name of your size, I uh, that's an awesome name. Does it come from. Where does it
3: come from? Yeah, well, I guess it all kind of stemmed back from uh the whole Three Stooges story when Shemp died, they had to put a stand in actor in essentially a fake champ and then obviously years later Sam Raimi adopted the name for any actor on screen that um, you know doesn't have their face to camera and they become f- fake champs and I guess when we started we were not professional film critics uh, so we considered ourselves a little bit like fake champs but obviously we've gone on to earn our stars or our badges as you will.
6: I yeah, brilliant. it not that's I thought. Sort of That's a I haven't, I've
3: got to check out your website I done it yet. Yeah, no, give it a look Because pretty much everything I write for Other publications ends up getting filtered there Anyway uh, Podcasts and you know other interviews And all that kind of stuff too, it's pretty cool Yeah, I bet yeah. But anyway, just before we go I really want to quickly talk about the Blu-ray release That Umbrella have put out And you, you did an audio commentary for that one um, Can you Tell me what it was like to respond to your film all of these years later.
6: Really favourably, actually, seeing it, I was quite fondly. It was good to see it because it really, I haven't seen it for a long time. Um, It's the first time I've seen it for ages, years, in fact. And and generally, when you finish a film, I I mean, a lot of filmmakers don't really look at their films again, I I noticed. And I'm a bit the same. I sort of draw it in you move on. So I haven't seen it for a long time. And so I did the commentary with Dave Warner and... We sat in this, you know, room and, and, and then and the it came in and, and, yeah, we started to get hooked into it again and just remembering the stories when we make it, but made it. But, you know, I, re- I responded to it very favourably. That's why I'm looking forward to seeing it on the big screen again. And I looked at, had a copy of, you know, The, the Grade and I looked and I thought, shit, that, you yeah, know, that was pretty good, actually. Yeah. Some, some of the, that's, that seemed to work really well on
3: Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be great.
6: Yeah, I hope, I, hope to, I don't know how many people are going on to it, but it'd be interesting to see with a reasonable size audience, you know, a bunch of, with
3: a good audience. I think you'll get a pretty full audience, probably a packed house, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I mean, the film has sort of built its audience up over the years, and I know we've talked about it several times on our website, so, you know, I don't have any doubt about that. Yeah,
6: no, well, that, that's great to hear. I mean, it's, um, uh, and you know, on other films I do, and they'd refer to it and say, now it's a cop, that's gonna go.
3: <laughs> that must be surreal.
6: It's very surreal. And um, interestingly enough, it, it's over time too, because it's, um, it, you know, I was telling that story about when it went to France and it was such a difference from the release in Australia um, to when it came out in France. And I, I went to that festival and that it was in the middle of winter and, uh, and there was this avenue of, of fans of, the movie, of that movie and... Uh, and, and all the movies screening and they were, they were throwing they were, so I walked down the snow sort of laden you know, walkway that go, went into this, this big
3: cinema where it was being screened and they were, all, they were all throwing snowballs at me going cut cut we love it cut <laughs> cut <laughs> that's awesome
6: going from summer in Australia we had sort of, you know, release here to that over there you go wow is, I actually like directors over here
3: <laughs> that's it I mean that's awesome I love that So one thing I want to actually wrap up on is uh, sources like IMDB are never really all that reliable, so can we get it from the horse's mouth, what is coming up for you and what audiences can expect next? Well, um, the one
6: that I'm trying to get um, up going is called Age of Beasts, and it's a monster movie, and um, uh, the producers, Grant Hill, who I I work with on the Matrix series, you know the trilogy yep. and that's what man, he, he produced that he's now producing Matrix for he and i've you know over the years been looking for projects and this this project came up which was it came out of a graphic novel it's a monster movie and
2: um it's a really cool script and we're trying to raise the finance for that so it's a film in
6: australia so
3: oh well good luck that, that's a great title
6: yeah no exactly no quite interested in it but it's a bigger budget so we, it's, you know these days it's it's you know interesting trying to raise money for those films it's getting harder to put it together but anyway hopefully we'll get it we make a great game as well so
3: well it sounds like it conjures all kinds of wonderful things in my mind so i look forward to whatever it might be but um i want to thank you for taking the time out to talk to me tonight it's been an absolute pleasure Oh, well, that's brilliant.
2: Thank you. And
6: I'm, I'm also starting up a new company, like a, a new company that um, so eventually want to make make more 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 of these films and work with you know up and coming filmmakers too. So let you know, you know, becoming trying to get
3: it going soon. So a big shout out to Kimball. That was a great conversation, and it was a real thrill for me to speak to him at length. Uh, interesting that he would throw in that little extra bit at the end about starting a production company. Uh, you know, it's not the same production company that Grant was talking about earlier, which is interesting because his producer, Chris Brown, produced Bait 3D and he's the one behind the monster thing. Like, It's yeah. all you know, weirdly interconnected, it but is. it's not the same. Anyway, we have a copy of Cut on Blu-ray to give away and we're going to do that right now. So, Keith, it's almost symbolic that Cut was released through Umbrella Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't too traumatic for <laughs> you, is it?
4: Well, I will see. I'm having flashbacks.
3: (laughs) Uh, So we asked people to share thoughts on Cut on our socials, and we're going to give this one away to the big guy himself, Brody Kane, our loyal listener. He gave us every reason to select him this week. So cheers, bloke. There's a fresh Blu-ray coming at you, brother. Good work, son. We have another giveaway coming up in a few minutes, so do keep listening. Still to love the bridegroom I have lost and the life but blood of his heart to drink. The lifeblood. The lifeblood. Life <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I am not known for my readings. You teach uh, and people. I don't, Just I don't it do, it do, do it while reading from a book. I do it from knowledge stored up in my
0: head.
2: <laughs> okay, point taken.
7: They pay you for that? <clears throat> Pretty well, actually. I mean, not, it's okay. I mean, education faculty. I'm not an engineering faculty, but I do okay
6: you anyway. have to be able to afford a sex swing for your wife. <laughs> a six swing? Sex swing is what I meant to say.
3: No, you, <laughs> you wouldn't know it from that grab, but those were the guys from Bonehead Weekly talking about the history of Dracula as, a, as part of a part two exploration of the character and the mythology. So find them on Facebook or YouTube. Hit their subscribe tab. And look out for an upcoming episode featuring little old me. Hey guys, it is Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another Good
8: Movie Monday recommendation. This week we are mourning the passing of filmmaker Joel Schumacher, uh, the dude who is probably the spottiest hit and miss filmmaker that has, you know, ever lived. I mean, this guy has Absolute bona fide and kind of like masterpieces and absolute stinkers. But Joel always made interesting movies. I don't think that anyone can kind of doubt that. And I look I personally, I really liked it. Uh, I liked his work. And it has fallen upon me to review *Tigerland*. Uh, definitely like a fascinating outlier in his filmography. Like, who could honestly believe, with the credits removed, that this was made by the same filmmaker that made *Batman and Robin*? This anti-war gritty 16 millimeter film has nothing in common with any of those lavish productions that Joel had done in the past. This movie is kind of famous, I guess, you know, not, not that famous because it lost a huge amount of money on release, but it is famous for announcing the arrival of a movie star in Colin Farrell. Now the term, you know, star making performance gets thrown around all the time, but this is a star making performance. Colin Farrell here is private Roland Boz a insubordinate recruit who is in the military machine, the the training facility, Tigerland, that's where the title comes from, and is not taking any of it. He is dismantling the machine. He refuses to uh, buy what they are selling him. And it is an amazing performance, incredibly charismatic. You know, I mean, it's got that whole cool hand Luke thing going on here. Um, And Farrell, you know, I mean, the movie copped a little bit of shit at the time because people were like, is this kind of like a beefcake movie you know like I mean is, is Farrell too hot to be like a soldier and stuff like that but look he transcends you know I mean look he's you know young and fit and gorgeous in this but he transcends it he has genuine movie star charisma in this and I just yeah I mean the minute I saw it, I'm like who is this dude I want to watch this dude in, you know in movies forever and it's fantastic funnily enough Matthew Davis who's kind of like his co-lead here that guy was in Legally blonde. And at the time, you know, he was a biggest star. And I thought Matthew Davis was gonna be the guy. And, you know, Farrell has just completely eclipsed him. Those two boys are the co leads. They are offered really good support here by some amazing character actors like Cole Hauser, Shea Wingham, uh, you know, even Michael Shannon is in this. And so, you know, I think that what is kind of great about this movie is is that just how how gritty and realistic that it is. It is actually, I mean, you know, they never get to war. I mean, this isn't a big war epic or anything, but it is genuinely tense, you know, and it has action sequences and training sequences and, you know, and it zeroes in on the character work. And that's what makes this really special. And it showed that Schumacher had a real deft hand with actors. And so, you know, I think that this is a really cool, you know, way to see a different variation of of Schumacher's talents and what he had. Um, I'm sure that the boys, are going to rant about all the other ones on there but you know Schumacher's got some really bangers I mean I know some people hate it but I really like you know uh, I like eight millimeter I really really like falling down um, flatliners the lost boys like you know the guy made some great films so rest in peace Joel you will be missed and you did make some fantastic movies that will live with us forever as for Tigerland uh, yeah I think it's one of the best kind of anti-war movies kind of ever made you know and it's a great you know it's kind of small experiment for him so i would give this four stars check it out if you haven't seen it already
3: recommendations mm. all right would you like to go first i would um
4: joel schumacher obviously we're paying tribute to the great man we the, certainly the, the are the loyal servant of hollywood so i'm going to recommend one of his films my personal favorite joel schumacher film would be the 1993 classic bah. Falling down. Of course it is. Starring my boy Michael Douglas in I don't think quite a career best performance, but if it's not number one, it's number two and number three for me. I'd say it's one of his very best.
3: It is amazing. His father, Kurt, considers it his best. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, we did. Well oh yes.
4: May <laughs> he rest in peace. Hundred and three, you <laughs> can't complain no, about that. That's right. But um probably had drank plenty of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Wall Street is always going to be Wall Street for me, but I mean I don't think that's that's a better performance. I just prefer that. But he sensational in this film. How's this for a cast, man? You got Robert Duvall, yep. two of my favorite actors of all time. So I'm always going to be on board with that.
3: Barbara Hershey. Yep. Um, I wonder what happened to Barbara. Oh, she's um doing. She did uh, Anna Green Gables Four. Oh wow. Yeah. Um,
4: smashing it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> she's done something else recently. I just can't put my finger on it.
4: Frederick Forrest, couple of fame
3: and Tuesday Weld, I believe. He. He plays, Frederick Forrester plays the, the crazy guy in the ammo store. Yeah. Wow. The white supremacist guy. Yes. Yeah,
4: which is, he's brilliant. He's, he was a great actor. What a
3: polarizing film.
4: Yeah, it is. It's quite controversial, isn't it? Now, I always, I don't know if you agree with me, you probably do, I've always seen Falling Down as a black comedy, yep. um, satirical, definitely.
3: And, and definitely
4: not Racist. No. I don't know how it would fare coming out today.
3: Look, well, interesting about that because of today's political climate is that Falling Down came out not long after the LA riots. Yeah,
4: a year, the, a year later. Yeah. yeah.
3: And it was almost a social commentary yeah. regarding that. Like, yeah. So it was a finger on the pulse kind of film. Absolutely. It, it was, many people would now view it as a right wing kind of film. I it, think so. It wasn't.
4: Yeah, I, I don't think it is at all. I think that if you were to see it that way, it's only because there's a white middle aged man. You know, in the lead, you know, yeah. he's that typical white-collar worker. Yep. And um, he feels irrelevant, squeezed yep. out from his job. But I think that is just a, a very um, surface-level reading of the film.
3: Because he's also the villain of the film. It's yeah, not he like he, he's an anti-hero, right? That's right. what's the whole ending. Yeah. Can we
4: discuss the ending?
3: I don't want to. Well, no, up. we'll just leave it at right, that. Okay. But I mean. Well, here's no, a realization. We, we can sympathize with him. Yeah. We understand his frustrations because we've all felt it. But this is a movie about how easily you can be pushed over the edge.
4: That's right. Yeah. We're like one or two steps away from cracking. I think that's basically what the film says, particularly when you feel um, not relevant, you know, yep. thrown on the heap of society. Yep. And he does. Like, I actually always love the. Yeah, you know, there's just the opening when he walks in to get the coke or whatever,
2: oh, <laughs> and that's he's just, right. oh it's my just
4: God. yeah, and then he's just like I'm done. Now. He's that's not even like it's not exploitive either. I don't think because you know it's not like he's ta- I don't think he's taking great pleasure in his crimes or it's all he's doing he's doing it with weariness. He
3: apologizes.
4: He does like it, there's an air of sadness about him. Yeah. So I don't think it's glorifying his actions whatsoever, which I think there has been a criticism of that. And that's a criticism with those films like Taxi Driver, those type of movies. But it's very clear that Schumacher's not being exploitive in that portrayal. Yeah.
3: And you do have the Robert Duvall character that comes in and sort of makes sense of all this. That's right. He kind of apologises on behalf of the film, similar, yeah, you know,
4: yeah. See, because in the his characters on his last day of yep. work, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, but you know, yeah. but
3: he's he's addressing all his race relation mm. issues, and he's trying to you know make it right yeah. in his community, and yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, there's it's also a, yeah, there's no, also social yeah. commentary on oh, yeah. like family court and things like yeah. that going on. You know, Absolutely. custody and.
4: Yeah, it's, it's, and it's also... The best thing about it is that on a surface level, though, it is highly entertaining. It's a good little thriller. So they're, they're the best, those films that have the social commentary, but they understand that you've got people who are going to watch something for two hours and they need to have a measure of entertainment.
3: Mine, uh, I think most of you probably guess... Or would you guess where I'm coming from? <laughs> I reckon a lot of people might peg me for a Lost Boys kind of guy. Yes, but... I'm going to go flatline. Yes. That. Another staple from my teenage years. It's always felt like an important film to me. Mm. Um, probably sort of. It's probably a. It feels more important than what it is. Yes, but I guess it explored sort of dark ethical questions for me when I was young. You know, okay. It delves into the concepts of life after death mm. and a lot of moral ambiguity going on. Yeah, uh, I liked all that because I think when you're when you're a teenager and you're developing and sort of you know it feels important.
4: You're curious about it. And things, now yeah. as
3: an adult, you look back on it. And it's just a gothic horror movie. Mm. It feels tonally different from a lot of horror movies that were released at the time. Yeah, In many ways, I think it's like a comparison to The Lost Boys because it had that very strong sense of hyper-realism, yeah. uh, the designs, the colour schemes, and, and the scores, and yeah. the music, and the soundtracks. You yeah. know? They're really, really haunting. Mm. So I just love it. I think the cast is exceptional. Mm. It was the Brat Pack, essentially, wasn't yeah. it? Because yeah. you had what? Um, Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts, you had William Baldwin, yeah. uh, Oliver Platt. Mm. Who am I missing? Who am I missing? Uh, I hate that. There's somebody else. Oh, Kevin Bacon. Oh, Bacon. Yeah.
4: The man who's in everything.
3: Yes. Uh, it's just a great film. Yeah. The horror is tasty. The the drama is exceptional. Mm. Flatliners, if you've never seen it, get on it. Tasty. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, as I said, we're going to give some cool stuff away. Thanks to Eagle Entertainment. They're back on board with some tasty new release treats for us. One of which is called Trick, directed by Patrick Lucier, who's the guy behind My Bloody Valentine, which was quite a big hit. Uh, this one stars Omar Epps, Jamie Kennedy, and Tom Atkins. Omar. Everyone in the horror community loves Tom Atkins. He's a bit of a legend. Mm. The second one's called Death Do Us Part, which is described as War of the Roses meets Shaun of the Dead. Wow. There's another Michael Douglas. Yeah. reference for you I'll have to check out that <laughs> it's a juicy horror double feature and to win all you need to do is share one of our posts this week on Facebook um, we will select one of the sharers at random and announce the winner on next week's show uh Share. Not like, not comment, actually share.
4: S-H-A-R-E, people. That's
3: right. Uh And also next week, if you want to get to the bottom of this umbrella motif that we've got running through this show, well, tune in because I hope to get to the bottom of that.
4: Indeed. Look, listeners, I may have had an encounter with some form of an umbrella that resulted in in a mild concussion. If you want to know the details, I'm not willing to divulge just yet from Iron Prudge.
3: I've been meaning to ask you, what's your favourite umbrella in a supporting role? Oh, you've man. got Gene Kelly's Broly in Singing in the Rain, oh. Julie Andrews in Mary Poppins, the Penguin from <laughs> Batman Returns. Lost in Translation's got a great transparent umbrella. Ray
4: Fiennes from The Avengers.
3: Yes. You've got the umbrella from Rainy Day New York, which we're yet to see. Yes. That could be an... Hot up well, contender. That
4: could take the mantle from Julie.
3: Hagrid from Harry Potter. Ah, oh,
4: Hagrid, of course. Ah, oh, of course, Hagrid. Yeah. Robbie Coltrane, man. What a lad. Und- underrated actor. <laughs> it would have to be it'd have to be Julie flying off over London. And no one can rock an umbrella like that lady. Maybe me.
3: Yes. But
4: um yeah, no, I'm gonna give it to Julie.
3: Anyway, mate, it's been radical having you back at the desk. It's uh this fantastic. show needs a sparring partner, sir, and you are it.
4: I'm it we <laughs> yeah, are jousting sticks man
3: and how about all of you people listening thanks for joining us for another week you all keep spreading the love as we go and like a pandemic it's sprouting up all over the place we've got people listening in the us we've got people in the uk we've got people in asia
4: yes it's 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 global
3: that's right we're like covid 20 we you know, are yeah. yes a uh, big tip of the hat to Jarrett garn gemo from the screen realm africa chairman adam ross and thanks to ben helwig and the guys at Bonehead Weekly. And of course, our gratitude to Kimball Rendell for that fantastic conversation and a massive shout out to Grant Hardy from Monster Pictures for taking the time to chat. We'll be back next week to do it all over again. Here's a track from one of Joel Schumacher's more underrated movies, Bad Company. It's called Tonight. It's by Next. Hope you enjoy. See you next Monday. Au revoir. Next. Uh DM.
2: Yeah.